Let's go ahead and bow together for a word of prayer, and then we'll get started uh, with uh, part two of our passage looking at how to love people in tough situations. So let's bow for a word of prayer, please. Father, we're very grateful for the word of God, and as we open it up, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Father, help me as I communicate these truths, as we work through these passages of scripture that lay out very practical principles, that we would see that this command to love not just the lovely, but also those who are difficult and those who uh, deal very uh, harshly with us. I pray that we would see the, the practical principles that are laid out in your word and uh, just give us wisdom and grace as we deal with difficult people and help us not to be those difficult people ourselves. And uh, just pray that you'll bless our prayer time. May it be very sweet. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, please, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 43 through 48, and if you remember last week, we talked about several practical principles that are to shape love in tough situations, and the things that we're going to talk about are very practical, and when people talk about love, a lot of times they think in terms of um, just warm and fuzzy feelings that we have toward one another, but when the Bible talks about this issue of love that's really uh, barely even a part of it let's just put it that way when we talk about warm and fuzzies that's not the way that the bible deals with this issue of love a lot of love is really about doing what is right toward other people and so matthew 5 43 here's what it says ye have heard that it hath been said thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy but i say unto you Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, we summarize this passage of Scripture in the following way. We are to love our neighbor, not just the good, but also the evil, because we are to love like our Heavenly Father loves His enemies. And as we worked our way through the passage, there were several highlight statements. One was to love them, talking about our disposition, Another was to bless them, talking about how we speak about them. Another was to do good to them, describing the actions that we actively take towards others. And then lastly, we are to pray for them. In other words, rather than taking vengeance and being angry and being manipulative, we need to take the matter to God, put it before him and say, God, please work where I am obviously not able to work. And so we looked at a couple of key passages. We dealt a good bit with the 1 Corinthians 13 passage. We're going to go a little bit further into that one. And then we looked at Romans chapter 12 very briefly. We're going to dig into that one a good bit tonight. And there were eight basic principles that we laid out. We didn't go through all of them. We just went through the first three. And today uh, we will hopefully get through at least two more, maybe three. We'll see what happens. But the first principle was love is patient with difficult people. And the statement in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 is charity suffereth long. Patience, a Christian virtue that God wants us to grow in. He wants 
to develop in us. And he allows us to be in situations both so that he can test us, demonstrating how we have matured in these areas, and also to build us and to mature us in these ways. The second principle was that love is kind to difficult people. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. And the word that I think we can think of there is the word mercy. And the idea is compassion. When we see a person in a difficult position, rather than immediately becoming angry and vindictive, we look at them as much as possible with compassion and we relate to them in kindness. And we talked a good bit about that one. The third principle is that love does not assume the worst where the facts are not yet established. Now, that doesn't mean that the facts can eventually take you to a bad place, okay? In other words, you let the facts determine how you view a situation. And just because you have previously seen issues doesn't mean it's necessarily going to go to the place that you assume it might go. And so we talked about the fact that when we deal with matters of judgment, we have to learn to hear the matter before we make a conclusion about it. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, It is not easily provoked and thinketh no evil. The idea is he doesn't rush to judgment to think the absolute worst of a situation or the absolute worst of a person's intentions or the absolute worst of what we don't know if they've done it, but we assume that, we've, that they've done it. Proverbs 18, 13, he that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Proverbs 18, 17, he that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out. Anyone ever had a situation where someone came to you and they said, here's my situation, and you just jumped in all the way, and then later on you found out that there was another side to it? Anybody ever done that? (laughs) I've done that. I've done that many times. I've had many times where people wanted me to do that and I wouldn't do it, okay? And it can go either way. Sometimes we jump into it because we kind of want it to be a certain way. And Solomon says, don't answer until you know the facts. Then we move on to principle four. And here's where we're really going to dig in tonight. Principle four, love desires God to bring resolution for the good of all parties. Let me read that again. Love desires for God to bring resolution for the good of all parties. Now, there are a lot of different personality types, even in this room. Some of us are more inclined that when someone comes really strong at us, our very first response is, boom, get right at them, okay? I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands if that's the way that you tend to be a little more inclined, but some of us are that way, all right? Some of us aren't like that. Somebody can push us, we kind of, we hold back. But there becomes a point where they push and push and push and all of a sudden it's over. <laughs> it's, they're not going any further at all. I actually kind of am a little bit that way myself, okay? I, I can get pushed and get pushed and get pushed. But then when I reach my limit, it's like, it's done. I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to back down. Now, listen carefully. It is easy for us to either blow up and get angry and say, I hope that this is never resolved or we get pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And throughout most of that time, we say, I hope it gets resolved. I want this to work out the right way. But then we reach that limb. We're like, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to deal with this anymore. 
I'm not going to budge an inch. I don't care if it's never resolved. We can get ourselves into that place. This verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, I think it addresses that issue. It says that charity beareth all things, believeth all things, and here is the one that should catch our attention. Hopeth all things, endureth all things. Now, I think all of those little pieces come together to basically say this. When we deal with difficult people, in the bottom of our heart, we should always say, Lord, I hope that this can be resolved for the good of everybody. We should never get to the place where like, you know what? Scorched earth, man, I'm done. (laughs) I hope that God just brings fire on them and I don't have to deal with this anymore. We need to guard our hearts against that kind of an attitude. That we are always hoping and praying that God will help this person to come to their senses or maybe to help us to come to our senses so that this issue can be resolved for the good of everyone involved. Stated another way, we should desire reconciliation and work toward that as much as is possible. There are limits, but as much as we possibly can, we should do that. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 12 verses 14 through 21, because this text of scripture is going to lay out for us how we do that. And there are limitations, okay? There are some uh, parameters, I would say that, and the text is going to show that. But notice the way that he puts this. Verse number 14. Bless them which which curse you. That sounds very similar to what we just read in Matthew. Bless and curse not. He then says condescend to men of low estate he's not saying be condescending to men of low estate he's saying condescend those two things are very different one is the idea that my attitude is one of I'm superior to them the other what he's actually communicating is I recognize that if I'm going to be able to work this out with this person I'm going to have to come to where they are and I'm going to have to meet them where they are and I'm going to have to work with them as they are in this situation, in order for this to actually be resolved. I'm going to say more about that in just a minute. He says, be not wise in your own conceits. Think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I remember one time I heard this pastor say this. He said, there are lots and lots of different ways that are going on in people's lives. It's not like my life is determined by just, this is the one path that I'm on and there are no other diversions at other times in my life. All of us, we have areas where we are are solidly walking with the Lord and we're thinking clearly in this particular vein, but then we get off track over here. In all of our ways, we're to acknowledge him and he'll direct our paths. But that statement, don't lean on your own understanding, is very important. I think that's what he means by saying, be not wise in your own conceits. Don't lean on your own understanding. When you have a difficulty, rather than saying, what do I want to do? And what do I think is best to go, what does God say I'm supposed to do? Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If... It be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. If thine, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he be thirsty, give him drink. If in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. 
Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now let's walk through some of these statements so that we understand what he's saying. First of all, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. When we have a person that speaks in a harsh way to us, or speaks in an evil way to us, the, the, the most natural thing for us to do is to meet force with force. Comparable force, maybe more force than was even given. That's the most natural thing to do. But what does he say? Bless those who curse you. Bless and curse not. Or in Proverbs, he talks about a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. He says, you're in a situation where you're in contention with someone and you have the opportunity to come back with tremendous force and instead you show some, some restraint and some self-control and you, you answer the person gently and it's very disarming and they go, you know what? Maybe I should back down too. And then what happens is you're able to resolve the issue. But when you come with force and they come with force, it just gets more and more and more until it's blown way beyond what it should have been. So he's talking about our words. Condescending to men of low estate. Another way to put this is, the strong is the one who initiates resolution. So when you have two people that have contention with one another, usually both people are thinking in a fleshly way when it starts out. Not, 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 not all maybe equally, okay? Uh, sometimes one a lot more than the other, but usually a, a contention between two people is because both people on some level are sharing some part in this difficulty. And at some point in there, if God can get a hold of the heart of one of those people and they begin to look at this in a more biblical manner, guess what happens? They start taking steps that are different than the steps that the other person is taking. The stronger, the one who's thinking more biblically, the one whose character is more conformed to Christ's likeness, is the one who will initiate resolution. Who will step down to the level where this other person is and try to work with them where they are. They're the one who's going to be more patient and more enduring. And so we can put it another way. The one who is not willing to be patient and not willing to go to resolution is the one who really is the weaker of the two. That's what he means when he says condescend to men of low estate. Recompense to no man evil for evil. This is not so much about our words, but our actions, what we do. This is about vengeance. Avenge not yourselves. And if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Simple fact. You're responsible for your actions, not your neighbor's. <laughs> and what that means is that you can do the right thing and 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 they could do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, do the wrong thing and at some point it's not reconcilable. Both people have to eventually take steps in order for a matter to be resolved correctly. And so I don't have the, the, the ability nor do you have the ability to force someone to make the right choice in a situation. And that's why he says as much as lieth in you. If it be possible, you do the right thing on your side. That's what he's saying. Now, there might be some in here who say, well, well Pastor Joel, you don't know my situation. Or, you know my situation, but you don't know it the way I know the situation, okay? You're not living through this mess that I'm living through. And 
true. Okay, maybe that's true. And you say, if I make the right steps, then I just know I'm going to get crushed in the process. Well, here's the simple truth. You don't know how a thing's going to play out until you walk down that road. We used to have this saying when I was a, a, a kid growing up. You don't know until you go fishing. You know, we get up in the morning, we're like, oh, I don't know, the weather's looking like it's maybe not perfect for fishing. And my brother, he always like, well, you don't know if you don't go. Let's get in the boat, let's go out there and let's see what happens. And some days we're like, yeah, it was a total waste of time. And other times you say, man, I'm glad we did that. That worked out really well. You do not know until you take the steps. And a lot of times people take some of the steps, almost like they're like dabbling in a little bit. I'm going to put my foot out and just test the waters and see what happens. And I'm going to pull it back if it's just not right. And that's not the way that you address these issues. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Now I know that this verse is not applying directly exclusively to this particular passage of scripture. It's establishing a principle in life that goes into all kinds of areas. And this principle most certainly applies in this kind of a situation of contention. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says this. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. He that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Now, what does that mean? What it's saying is people that only make choices when everything is aligned perfectly don't do anything in life. <laughs> Did you catch that? People who are waiting for everything to align perfectly, they don't do anything in life. You know why that is? Because life doesn't work that way. Somebody walks outside and they say, oh man, it looks like the wind's a little bit off today. I don't know if I should go out there and work in my field. Man, I don't know if the, the, the rain's going to come this year the way that it normally does. I don't know if the, the environment's just going to be right this year for planting. No, you know what a farmer does? He goes, every year at this season, this is when I go out and I plant my field. And they have, they have this pattern. Whether the rains come or not, whether it's a real hot summer, a cold summer, moderate summer, doesn't matter. You go out and you do what you're responsible to do. You plant the seed and you let God take care of the rest. And so he says, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. He that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor the bones that grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the work of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and the evening withhold not thine hand. Thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, whether they both shall be alike. So the simple principle is this. If you have a responsibility... Don't wait for everything to be perfect. Just, just do your responsibility. And when it comes to this issue of relationships that are in contention, you don't know if your actions are going to lead to a good resolution or not. You have no control over whether or not it will lead to a good resolution or not. What you are responsible to do is to obey God in the situation and see what he does. And many times he works through our obedience. Sometimes he works in spite of our, our obedience. Sometimes God works through our obedience and people still have a free will and they still reject what they need to do. And that's okay. God's, God's still honored in our actions. So this principle is very, very, very important. Principle number four. Ah, I'm going to go back to it. Principle number four. Love desires God to bring resolution for the good of all parties. And if you want... There to be a good resolution, you've got to take active steps to move in that direction. 
Principle number five. This is a really good one. Love speaks the truth even when truth is uncomfortable but necessary. Who did you catch that one? Love speaks the truth even when the truth is uncomfortable but necessary. Now, I didn't just say without qualification that if the truth's uncomfortable, we just have to put it out. There are some things they're not necessary to say, okay? Necessary is important. Does this need to be stated? Is it something that needs to be stated? That's, that's where we're going with that. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says this. Love, charity, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Now, one of the great fallacies of our time period, of our uh, current cultural way of thinking, is that love always affirms what people want to do, Okay. So if, if I want to do something and you love me, then you have to affirm what I want to do 100% of the time. It, whether or not what I'm going to do is good for me and good for the people around me and it conforms to what is right and true, it's irrelevant in the mind of so many people. Love always affirms what people want. That's not true. There's a standard that determines what is true and love is conformed to what is true he says it does not rejoice in iniquity rather it rejoiceth in the truth love doesn't just tell you what you want to hear love tells you what is true sometimes you want to hear it sometimes you don't want to hear it but if it needs to be stated and you love that person you're going to say what needs to be said Ignoring problems does not bring resolution. You hear the, the, the statement, kicking the can down the road, <laughs> okay? In other words, a lot of people say, Man, I don't want to get into this. I don't want to jump into that situation. I don't want to have to have this conversation. And so what they do is they, they just, they kind of work their way through navigating so that they don't have to address that conflict. Because to them, that's this landmine. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to have to deal with all of the blowback from that situation. But ignoring problems lets them get worse. And the longer that we ignore a problem that's getting worse, the more likely it is that when it finally comes to a head, it's going to be really bad. I mean, we understand this when it comes to things like our health. If a person has a health condition that is treatable, but they don't get it treated for 15 or 20 years, well, it may not be treatable 20 years later. It might be something that the doctor says, yeah, the reason that you're, uh, you're seeing me right now in the ER is because... You didn't address this issue 20 years ago and now there's not much we can do. We can manage your situation. We could try to make your uh, life as comfortable as possible. We could try to extend uh, your life a little bit here. But we can't reverse this. The damage is done. Now we understand this is true when it comes to our bodies and the and physical world. But it's also true when it comes to spiritual issues as well. Proverbs 27.5 Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Let me read that again. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's important for us to be in relationships with people who love us enough, who care about the truth enough, 
and are more concerned about God than maybe our feelings at times who will tell us the truth in tough situations. It's really true. And this is why God gives uh, children parents. Because you need authority in your life. You need a dad, you need a mom who's going to sit down and say, hey, you can't do that. No, you do have to do your schoolwork today. Well, I don't feel like it. it doesn't matter how you feel. Do you know how many things I do in life that I don't feel like doing when I do them, but I have to do them? You know, we have those conversations. And then sometimes, you know, we get, we get to that stage where we're no longer under the authority of parents. We're on our own. And guess what? Nobody can come near us and tell us, you're wrong. <laughs> I think that's probably not a good idea. Maybe you should reconsider. Hey, have you considered this other possibility? You know how you'll know when maybe you're not used to that? When people have to tiptoe around you to present something in a way that is a real clever way to like not get you to blow up. You know what I mean? The fact is we need godly friends. This is why we need the church. You know, when we come to church, we hear the preaching of God's word. The scriptures are confronting us with truth over and over and over again. And every time we come into this place and the word of God is, is working in our hearts, you know what it's doing? It's softening our hearts. It's, it's directing us to the Lord. That's what it's doing. And we need that. The truth is going to come forward even if it makes us uncomfortable. We must maintain a careful balance when we address people. Now, this is not to say that we should be calloused and harsh when we go and speak the truth to someone. Someone says, well, they just needed to hear that, so I said it the way I needed to say it. Well, there could be a little compassion, too, when you say something that's hard. There are ways to go about this. Think about Proverbs 3.3. 3. He says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Mercy, the idea of compassion, kindness thinking about the very best way to approach this person i'm not coming to them with this calloused attitude but i'm speaking the truth because i have an allegiance to what is true i'm not going to bend on principle but i love them i care about them there's compassion toward them that is the sense a person who's willing to not ignore the problem but address the problem but to speak the truth with mercy attached to it that's what we need and wisdom can lead us in a couple different directions sometimes. This is a fascinating proverb. Proverbs 26, 4-5. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceits. Now, if anyone in here is going, my head's spinning a little bit because you said, don't answer a fool. And now you're saying, answer a fool, which one it is? Or which one is it? And the answer is, well, it depends on godly wisdom. You say, well, how do I know the two? The question is, are you answering a fool because you're angry and you're essentially having the same mindset that they're having? That's what he means in verse 4 where he says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. In other words, the way that a, a person who does not listen to correction explodes and they're aggressive and they just push back and they won't consider what people have to say, he says, you could fall into the same attitude towards another person. So don't do that. If that's where you're going to go, hold back. Get control of the situation. Be restrained. On the other side, he says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Sometimes you have to tell a person, look, 
I'm not saying this because I hate you. I'm not saying this because I'm cruel. I'm not saying this because I have any kind of vindictive attitude towards you. I'm saying this because you need to hear the truth in the situation. What you're saying is wrong. What you want to do is destructive. What you're unwilling to do is hurting you and the people around you. I'm telling you, you need to stop. You need to move forward. You need to turn off this path. Now, the question is, what's the difference? The, question, the difference is, it's really about you. It's about how you approach the situation. In fact, Jesus kind of gets into this on the Sermon on the Mount. We will get to this at some point down the road. But you know the famous verse where it says, judge not lest ye be not judged. You know, every, every, every non-Christian's favorite book of, a verse in the Bible. Judge not lest ye be not judged. But there's a little more to it than just don't judge. It's like, before you make a judgment, you better look at yourself first. And remove that beam that's in your own eye so you can help somebody get the speck out. Now, the reason that Jesus gives that teaching is not to say, don't help other people. It's to say, help other people when you can see clearly. That's what he's saying. And so after that discussion about discernment and helping people who have need and starting with ourselves first, he makes the following statement. Matthew 7, 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. You say, what is Jesus saying? He's saying there are some times that it is pointless to say more. That's what he's saying. Because all that's going to happen is it's just going to get trampled on. And so God needs to give us the wisdom to know, when am I getting into that territory? When am I responding in a way that is ultimately just throwing something that is true into someone's path to just get crushed and, and destroyed? And so that really is an application of the passage that we mentioned in Proverbs. All right, I'm going to go one more here. Uh, principle number six. Love does good even when what is good may not be completely understood. <laughs> now this sounds a little bit like what I just said in principle number five. Love does good even when what is good is not completely understood. Now there are a lot of different ways that we could look at this principle being played out. But I want us to look specifically at the issue of discipline. And when we talk about discipline, we're talking about discipline on uh, the home level. And we have discipline on the fatherly relationship, our relationship to God, our Heavenly Father. And even within the churching context. Because all three of those are contexts where this concept of discipline is being presented. Love doing good even when what is good is not completely understood. So Proverbs 29.15 says the following. The rod... And reproof give wisdom. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Let me read that again. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now a lot of people today are saying, you know what? You don't need to restrain kids. Because kids are naturally good. You just need to put them in the right environment and they'll just they'll blossom. They'll flourish. You just, you just put the things that they want around them and guess what? All of a sudden they're just, they're just going to become this like thriving human being. That doesn't sound very scriptural, does it? Because it's, it's not. 
the rod and reproof give wisdom. A child left to himself brings his mother to shame. In other words, the parenting philosophy of the world is leave your children to themselves. Let them determine their own way. Let them choose the path in life that they want. Give them everything that they want and they'll choose what is best for themselves. And that's just not true. You want to destroy a child? Do that. You want to destroy a culture? Well, we've already got an example of it. Just look around, okay? You ever, you ever go through the drive-thru and you go, eh, it seems like there might be some, uh, some young people working at this place that were never taught how to work. <laughs> never, never taught how to talk to other people. Never taught how to pay attention so they actually know what's being ordered. They certainly haven't been taught how to work fast. All of you, you know what I'm saying, okay? I mean, it's just the truth. Actually, it's just an evidence that, that this mindset has so infiltrated our society that we are now reaping the fruit of it. And the truth is that when a parent has to discipline their children, I think of a parent's doing it the right way. They don't enjoy it. It makes them sad. Discipline isn't, I'm angry and I want to take it out on my kids. That's not discipline. That's vengeance. <laughs> discipline is you are controlled and you say, for the good of my son, for the good of my daughter, I need to restrain them. I need to sit down with them. I need to give consequence for the action they've taken. I need to explain to them why it's wrong. Or maybe I should ask them to explain to me why they know it's wrong because they've been taught this. There needs to be real consequences. And there needs to be the ability to restore to fellowship within the home context. Notice it says rod and reproof. It's not just restraint, but it's restraint with teaching. Those things go together. Well, when a child is being disciplined by their parents, even if it's being done the right way, they don't always understand this. They don't always appreciate it. They say, man, my dad's so hard on me. My mom's so hard on me. Why can't they just let me go out and play with the other kids? Why do kids play outside anymore? Why, why can't I just be like everybody else? Why can't I have this? And why can't I do this? Why do they have to restrict me? Why do they have to make me do these things? If your parents love you and they're doing it the right way, you may not understand it at the time, but down the road you'll go, you know what, I'm glad they taught me. I'm glad they restrained me. I'm glad they worked with me. I'm glad they had these conversations. Love does good even when what is good may not be completely understood. The greatest example of this issue of discipline is, is God himself. Hebrews 12, 9. He says, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And we gave them reverence. Shall not, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father, spirits, and live? For verily for a few days, they chastened us after their own pleasure. <laughs> Maybe what he's saying is the reason that most people discipline their kids is because they don't want to deal with grief. And so they're trying to restrain their behavior for their own benefit. As parents, that's really not why we should discipline our children. It's for their good. And it's because of our responsibility before God that we, we understand. He says, but he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So basically he's saying God the Father disciplines us, corrects us, teaches us, chastens us, so that we can grow into Christ's likeness. If he doesn't do this, we won't grow into Christ's likeness. 
So he does it for our own good because he loves us. He says, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So the discipline that God brings into our lives is what grows us. It's what matures us. It's what helps us to become the people he wants us to be. I love the next statement. He says, therefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths of your feet. You know, why does he say that? Well, because these people are weary and they're upset and they say, God, why are you doing so harshly with us? They don't understand that love does good even when that good is not completely understood. That's what he's saying. And then we look at the issue of church discipline. I know we, we dealt like with eight, like seven or eight weeks with this. I don't know how long it's been in Sunday school. But think about that passage we talked about this past Sunday. 2 Corinthians 7, 8. Though I made you sorry with a letter, I did not repent. Though I did repent. He says, I know it grieved you when you read that letter. And in my heart, I struggled to write it. I didn't want to write those things. I didn't want to have to be so firm with you. I didn't want to have to be so harsh. I didn't want to have to say those things. But I said them because I had to say them. And now that I see what's taken place, I'm glad I did it. That's what he's saying. I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner. He's saying, I'm so glad that I demonstrated love to you in a way that at the time you didn't understand, that even in my own heart, I struggled on some level to do it. But now I look back and I don't regret it. I'm glad that I did this because I see what God did through it. What's the point? When you love people, sometimes you have to be firm and they don't want that. Sometimes you have to speak in a way that is true and necessary and they don't want to hear it. And when you do it, it will ultimately lead down a path that will bring them where they need to be. That's what parents have to do. That's what we have to do with a brother or sister who's not walking with the Lord. Frankly, when we're giving the gospel to somebody, you know what we're doing? We're doing that. We are telling them the truth. They don't want to hear The law doesn't get you to heaven. The law says guilty, no hope, only Christ. They don't want to hear that. That's exactly what they need to hear. And so my encouragement to you tonight is this. Let's walk according to these very simple and basic principles. So I'll read them, them to you again just so that we can remember. I'll go all the way back to principle number one and just hit them quickly. I'm not going to expound them anymore. Love is patient with difficult people. Love is kind with difficult people. Love does not assume the worst where the facts are not yet established. Love desires God to bring resolution for the good of all parties involved. Love speaks the truth even when the truth is uncomfortable but necessary. And love does good even when that good may not be completely understood. Let's ask the Lord to help us to do that. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. And as we have read it tonight and as uh, I have Try to apply it to the best of my ability. I pray that you'll take the word and impress it on our hearts. And if someone in this room is dealing with a very challenging situation, I pray that you would give them guidance and wisdom through the scriptures we've just dealt with. Use these things to shape their disposition and their actions and their words. 
And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.